In the beginning, God separated the sky from the ground, creating land. He then said, let the land sprout with the vegetation, and God saw that it was good. Since this time, God has revealed himself to all of creation on this land. As man walks, plows, and harvests the fields of the earth, a promise between God and man is established. God came down from heaven and announced his presence to mankind, redeemed his creation, and it all started in a field. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And is that not great? Can you give the kids another big, big, big hand? Wow. There's so many things I want to say right now, and I'm just filtering. Like London Miller, that is such his mother to be looking at himself on the screen. And oh, this is good. And Eli wants to hide out at a Vikings game. That's great. Good, it's good. I love these kids. I mean, you know, and, and when I saw some of the, the footage for the video, I just think it's great because they're just telling their own story, uh, but they're getting it. And they, they're, there's just different pieces of what they're saying that's just it's pretty powerful because kids will just say some of the craziest things, but it's very true. And, uh, and so anyhow, um, today we're ending this series in the fields kind of really talking about the song that they sang about the shepherds and the silent night, holy night. So if you have your Bible, if you turn me to Luke's gospel, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to just look at a familiar passage of four verses here of, uh, of um, Scripture. But we've been talking about how God shows up and does some incredible things in a field. And we talked about the field of, uh, of Ruth and Boaz in the Old Testament where they meet in this field uh, and then we talked about last week that David is tending sheep in a field. He's a shepherd, and all of a sudden there is uh, he's brought in before the, the, the priest, for the high priest, before God's man, and he's anointed king of Israel. But he goes back to that field, and God works and defines in him before he ever slays Goliath, before he ever becomes king of Israel. It's that field that becomes this incredible, incredible, incredible place. And uh, so today I want to talk to you about the part of the Christmas story that takes place in a field. And it's very interesting uh, how God does this. And so Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And they were watching flock over their, uh, excuse me, they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of David, that would be Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, I want to kind of give you just a main thought here. God declares his son, the salvation of the world, by first announcing his son's arrival to shepherds, and he does it in a field. This is significant. God declares his son's birth by first announcing his son's arrival to the shepherds, and then he does it in a field. When I read a passage like this, I, I, I ask, you know, why is it shepherds? Why are the shepherds first? Why is it a field? Because God never does anything just because. There's never just a randomness to it. Um, when, you, when you look at, at the theology of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, you see this, um, I like to say it's like these, these, it's these threads in this incredible tapestry that God begins to create and tell this story. But everything's connected. 
And there are parts where we see connections, and I hope today is one of those times. But there's a reason that God declares the Savior of the world to these individuals first, and that he does it in a field. Both of those two things, figuratively and geographically, are hugely important. So first of all, I want to kind of back out of this because we have an idea of shepherds in the 21st century, especially in a Western mindset, that was completely different than the first century. We look at shepherds because a lot of times we see them this time of the year or maybe at Easter time. You know, they're kind of in a bathrobe and some Birkenstocks and they've got this, you know, this, this kind of candy cane looking uh, staff and, and that's just shepherds. And maybe you've been to a big production and, and it's this more elaborate and I mean, there's beards and there's all of this drab of clothing and that kind of deal. You, you've been into a, like a Christian bookstore to, to somewhere where you've seen like, you know, Jesus is this, is this shepherd and, and there's this staff and, and you know, it's the 23rd Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's all these pictures of, of how like shepherds are almost like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? They're, they're kind of like this, this, and they're kind of dressed that way too, right? They're, they're kind of like this, 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 this master, this, this leader, this, this person of wisdom, this person that's, that's very highly thought of and very, just very revered. But all of that's false. The shepherds, were they not only not wearing bathrobes and Birkenstocks in the first century, they were not a group of people that were aspired to be about or to be around, nor were they revered. They were really kind of the outcasts of society. The shepherds, first of all, how they would have been viewed and how they would have felt would have been, first of all, they would have felt very unworthy. Uh, very unworthy. Because the Jews were taught... Uh, that religion was not for the shepherds because the shepherds were ceremonially unclean and could not become clean because of their vocation. So they were basically unreachable by God. They were basically detestable in the sight of God. They had, they not only could they not go to the outer courts of the temple of the church, but nor could they come into and the, to, to a worship service and experience the presence of God. Religious people in the first century and even before wouldn't even physically touch a shepherd. If they did, because of the shepherd's interaction with livestock, they would, and, and what they did, they, they would basically go through a ceremonial cleansing to cleanse themselves. And we're not talking about just a little Purell because they had been touching livestock, right? We're talking about just a complete deal. There's this complete disdain. They, they, they were taught that they were not good enough to even come to God. They were the lowest people in society. Most of the time, shepherds were either the youngest of sons in a family or they were slaves. So our ideology and our thought of the 23rd Psalm, as majestic as God is, it's interesting that God likens himself as to a shepherd. Because shepherds were not at the top of the food chains. Shepherds were not just, well, you know, they, they were outside and outdoorsmen, but they were, they were great and they were revered and they were well thought of. No, no, no. They were out there because nobody else wanted to do that job Nobody else wanted, wanted to be around that. They, had, they, they were completely just rejected by society, and because of that would have felt unworthy. But think about this. The announcement of the Savior of the world didn't come to a king. It didn't come through the priests who were ceremonially clean, who would, during this time would have been just nine months prior, would have been going and offering the sacrifices and the atonement for the nation of Israel. It wasn't to the scribes who were writing down the Holy Scriptures as God was speaking. It wasn't to the Pharisees or the Sadducees who were the leaders of the church, who were the religious establishment of the day, and quite frankly, who were, who were the governmental leaders at the same time. It was to shepherds in a field. So the second thing is the shepherds would have felt very inadequate. Uh, the inadequacy of a shepherd would have been very, very, very high because they were uneducated. 
So neither could they read nor write, but nobody regarded them in that way. And because of their job, because it was a 24-7 job, they could not keep the Sabbath. Therefore, think of this, they were kind of people that didn't belong at church. They were the people that didn't go to church. They were the guys or the gals that just, ah, church isn't for me, and I'm just not good enough, and that's just, and I just can't, and, and I'm, I'm not, you know, and they don't want me there. You ever had somebody tell you that? You know, church people, they're just not kind of my group of people, and, and they wouldn't like me very much, and I'm kind of rough around the edges, and I'm not, you know, I, you know, I kind of have a vocabulary that church people don't have, and, and you know, I kind of do things that church people don't feel like are clean and acceptable, and, and matter of fact, the pastor doesn't really want to interact with me. You know, I, I just, I'm really kind of out here, and it's probably better off that I just stay in this field and kind of stay with my own. That's who the shepherd would have been. And shepherds would have felt very much even unloved by society. Because of their lowliness and their uneducated state and the disdain that was associated to them, scholars tell us that they were not even allowed to testify as a witness in legal hearings or cases because they were considered thieves. They were untrusted. Parents would never want their daughters to marry a shepherd. I don't know how else to say that. It just, it's, that's just who they were. So why does God choose to reveal the salvation of humanity to this group of people? Why does he choose to do this in this stinky field? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, 21 and 22, give us some insight into God's thinking. It says this, because no one can be made right with God by following the law. That's the Old Testament. That's what, that would be the Jewish law that, that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day would have been perfectly keeping. And they would have said that the shepherds couldn't keep. For the law only shows us our own sin, verse 21. But God has made a way to make people right with him without the law. He has now shown us that there is a way which the law and the prophets told us about. He's speaking of Jesus here. Verse 22, God makes people right with himself through their faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for all who believe in Christ because all people are the same. God sent in a message. By God showing up in the field, by God communicating the, the salvation of humanity to this group of people, that the church would not have embraced, that the pastors wouldn't have embraced, that, that, that you would not want to grow up and aspire to be, nor would you want your children to marry into, this group of uneducated, degenerate, lowly, what, however you want to express it, group of people that were necessary for your society because of, of their taking care of the livestock, but basically were unnecessary for you in a social setting or religious setting. God chooses them to make a statement. He's making a huge, loud statement. Because what he's saying is, is Paul will go on to write, to, and, and as he continues to be imprisoned in, in, in Rome, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's not uh, uh, someone who's free or someone who's a slave. There's not male nor female. There's, not, there's no longer this demarcation that the ground becomes level at the foot of the cross, that we are all the same, that we are all saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of ourselves, lest any of us would become boastful or arrogant. And so God makes a point to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the lowest people on the planet, I'm going to go to the lowliest of people on the planet, and I am going to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to them in their own environment in a field. It's interesting to me that God doesn't ask them to come from their environment to come into his environment. 
God is the only God, the only deity, the only one that ever claims deity that's ever historically, whether you're dealing with Muhammad or whether you're dealing with Buddha or whether you're dealing with Jesus Christ, the only deity that ever runs to its own creation is Jesus. Every other deity says, you come to me, you appease me. The Hindu in, in, in India, there are so many multitudes of gods and so many things they have to do to appease that there's just no way to keep up. But God says, no, I'll come to you. It's, it's like, no, you don't even have to even come to the church. You don't have to even come. I tell you what, I'll just bring the church to you. So he shows up with a heavenly choir. What freaks them out is that they weren't spiritual men. When you get that, you go, ah, that wasn't anywhere in their circle. The, the, these guys are just... They're out. They're just kind of doing their thing, and they're, they're, they're just trying to make a living. They're just trading days for dollars, and all of a sudden, these angels show up, and God's voice begins to speak, and there's something about the voice of God that connects with us, the creator to the creation, regardless who you are, whether you're in the church or you're outside the church, whether you're far away from God or whether you're connected with God. It just kind of resonates, and God begins to speak, and it terrifies them because they had never had a spiritual experience in their life. Because they were told that they were beyond God and that God didn't care about them. And all of a sudden, God shows up. Wow. You understand that according to the Jewish law, that God had not spoken to the nation of Israel through a priest or through a prophet for 400 years until this time. 400 years. And then God speaks to Mary. 400 years. Then God speaks to Joseph through a dream. 400 years. Then God shows up. And speaks to a group of shepherds. And his message is, is that you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You, 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 can't, you, you can't earn your way into God. You, you, you can't be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. There were 613 laws that the Pharisees followed from the Old Testament. And the shepherds couldn't do any of them. It was impossible to keep the law. And God wanted to prove something. Look, I'm going to go to the people who are impossible and incapable of keeping the law by their very nature of their existence and where society has placed them. And I'm doing this because I'm making a point. You cannot keep up with God and please God just by keeping his law. Meaning the law was not there for us to try to fulfill. The law was there to show how incomplete we were. That's what Paul just says to the church in Rome that I just read for you in Romans chapter 3. That it only is there to expose our own depravity, our own sin. Secondly, God's message is that the purpose of the law is to show us our need for a Savior. That's why he sends the law. That's why he gave the law. It's to show that we're never going to be good enough. When people say, man, I'm not good enough to come to church, I go, hey, join the club, man. Stand in line. If you knew my junk, you'd really come to church. Because at the end of the day, bro, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and none of us are righteous, no, not one. And the guy that thinks he's righteous enough to be in church, he thinks he's righteous enough to make heaven, the guy that thinks he's going he's to get there just on his own merit, he, he is on something. Because it doesn't hold any theological water. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you'll never see the need for a Savior. Ever. Until you see yourself unworthy, as those shepherds did, you'll never listen to the message. Until you see yourself that, man, I'm never going to be good enough, fast enough, smart enough for God to, to, to get into heaven on my own. It's going to be grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The message that God's sending is that righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It comes by, through faith in Christ alone. 
It's not about being a member of the church. It's not about being a, a member of the religious establishment. It's not about being a minister. It's not about being any, it's not about achievement of any kind. It's not even about us. I love it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever or whosoever should believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's it. It's all about relationship. Religion is all about what I do. That's what keeping the law is about. But relationship is about what Jesus has done. Religion is all about me. Relationship is all about Jesus. Religion is all about do's. Relationship is all about done. See, I don't have to do. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to perform for some religious establishment. But you're, but you're the pastor. Yeah, that's right. But you're not my judge and neither am I your judge. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. The good news is, is that I'm not righteous in and of myself. That my righteousness is as a filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. That only what God has done in me and through me by his grace through that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I'm saved. That's why I'm here. Not about certain pedigree. So why did God choose a field? I, I get the point he's making about the shepherd. He comes to the lowest of low, that anybody can come to the cross. And that's but why a field? Why did God go to them instead of coming to bringing him? Well, if you remember two weeks ago, Steve preached that first message in this series about Ruth, the Moabite, who was widowed and came with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was widowed as well, and they came from Moab. Now, when you stand in Bethlehem, even to today, on a clear day, you can look out across the valley, and you can see the mountains of Moab. It's very distinct. And that, they were the Moabites. And so because of their particular situation of losing their husbands, they leave the land of Moab, and they come to the land of Israel. They come to Bethlehem, which... Was, uh, and they did that partially because they were looking to eat and trying to be taken care of in a way. And so, so according to the law, the, the, those who owned the fields and the harvesters in the fields could not pick up any grain that fell to the ground. They had to leave it for those who were basically the poor and the widowed because there were no social services of the day. And then they would also leave the corners of the field uncut so that they could come and glean from that. So in the story, in the, and so we see that, that she comes that Ruth comes with Naomi and they go in and she begins to glean from the field. And Boaz, who owns that field, says, who is this? Begins to inquire of her, finds out her story. And this incredible love story unfolds. And he takes her as his wife. That's why Boaz is called the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. He's a foreshadowing of what God the Father will do for the nation of Israel and for all of us. He will redeem us from our sins. You fast forward a few generations, three generations to be exact, and Samuel shows up in Bethlehem, the same town that Boaz is from, and says, I want to now anoint a new king of Israel, and I'm supposed to come to Jesse's house. And Jesse has, he has eight sons, but he only brings seven because the eighth is David. David is watching the sheep. He's a Shepherd. Remember what I said? Most shepherds were the youngest or they were slaves. Some theologians and scholars say that David wasn't, he didn't have the same mother that the other brothers had, that he was a mother of a concubine, and so that he was completely outcast. He was a bastard. I don't mean to be straight, but I mean it's just the reality. 
So he was very much unwanted, and so that's what he did. And he didn't look like his other brothers. He didn't have the same complexion, the same look as his other brothers had. And so Samuel says, are these all the sons that you have, Jesse? And Jesse says, I have one, but he's a shepherd. The shepherd should have never been able to be with the, with the man of God, the prophet of God, the priest of God. Should have never been able to come into the room. Bring him. We will not sit down until he comes, the Bible says. And he comes. Where's he at? He's in that field. Do you know that's the same field that his great great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather, Boaz and Ruth, met each other in? It's in the same field that God, because David is the Christ type of, uh, he, he's uh, what's called a Christophany. It's a Christ type in the Old Testament. He's a foreshadowing. He's going to be the king of Israel. So is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate king. David is a foreshadowing of what Jesus will be from the same field. This hit me last fall when I was standing with a group from Life Church, and we were on a kind of a Holy Land tour, and we had left uh, Jerusalem, which is Israeli territory, and gone into Bethlehem, which is now Palestinian territory. So they take us to where they say Jesus would have been born in the manger and the Hodil, and, and we go in there and we see all of that, and it's, there, there's a church that, that's above it, and it's a kind of in a basement level of how that they would have done a stable and a barn in that day and time, and so they do that. And when we're done, we take this small, very short walk. It's, very, it's still visible from where, from where Jesus was born to where we're sitting there, and we're looking over the valley. And the, the guide begins to unfold this and said, now those are the mountains of Moab in the distance. And this would have been one of the fields where the shepherds would have been. And where, and so you can see agriculture happen, you can see all this stuff happening, and all of a sudden it hits me. It's like this epiphany. It's like all of a sudden I pick up on this thread that's running through scripture. And so I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So Ruth the Moabite came from Moab. So that's Moab. Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, that's Moab. So she would have come with Naomi, and she would have come, and it would have been in these fields in this vicinity right here. I'm not saying it's the exact same spot, but we don't know the exact same spot. We just know the vicinity because this is Bethlehem, and that Boaz is from Bethlehem. And so she comes from Moab with her mother in law and comes here, and this is where Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, would have. And, and again, any Jew understands this. They're, they're completely tracking with you because they, they, this is what they're taught. And, and so, so they, they connect. And then, and then it's here, it's either the great great or the great great uh, grandmother. Of David. So this would have been conceivably the field that David would have been in that I'm looking at right now. She said, yes, sir. And I said, it's going to be in this field that God's going to show up. And he's going to pronounce to another group of shepherds like David that his son has just been born. She said, yes. And I said, and it all happened in this field. And she said, yes, sir. And it hit me. In this field, in this place that you would have just, just overlooked all God does is that he connects constantly. He knew from generation to generation what was going to happen. And all three of these things took place in this same vicinity, in this same place. And God is simply communicating as if to say, I will redeem the same type of people in the exact same area to make the same point. That God is sovereign over all. And that he chooses to, to use those that he wishes. And, this, and the story of Christmas started thousands of years ago before the birth of Christ. It's of no accident. It's no coincidence. It's God's sovereign plan. And it all happened in a field. And what hits me as a pastor is it didn't happen in a church. It happens in a field. In the same field with the same characters and the same type of people. That's who God came to save.
Not the found, but the lost. Not those of us that look good and smell good and have it all together, but those of us that are unraveled and we just kind of have it put together today. He didn't come to save those of us that were religiously astute and elect and came from great church families. He came to save the drunkard at the bar and the prostitute on the corner and the drug dealer that has no hope and the kid that doesn't have a parent and the bastard son that nobody wants. He came to save the lowest of the low and those who are lost and undone. And he came 2,000 years ago to proclaim that. And that's the message. And why is it so hard that today it's so hard for us to get that? These kids see it. They understand it. And in their own funny way, they communicate that simple story. And it all happens in a field. In a field. In a low, common place, God shows up. So today, I just want to pray. And I just want to ask you if you'd bow your head and close your eyes with me. And as I was preparing this message, I just felt like that I should give you an opportunity. If you are not where you want to be with God and you are far away from God, maybe you identify more with the shepherd than you do with the priest. And you want to just simply say, you know what, man, that makes sense. That you simply want to act upon that John 3.16. For God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating today. And so if you're here and you want to you do that, I'm going to invite you and give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. Not that that stuff is wrong, but just simply, in, I just think in, the, in, in the, and just kind of in the, the solitude and the quietness of this moment, that, that I just want to give you an opportunity to simply give your heart to Christ and make a decision to follow Jesus. Because what I think in a very simple way through these kids, maybe they're your grandkids, maybe they're your kids, maybe they're your nieces or nephews or family members or friends, kids. Maybe they're yours. It's this message that God loves you. It's what he told the shepherds, that he came for the salvation of all mankind. And today that kind of connects with you. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that we will be saved. It's not about joining the church. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. Joining the church is, 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 uh, is fine, but that's, it's, about, it's about relationship. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask if you want to give your life to Christ today, maybe you just need to rededicate your life. I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that. And I'm going to ask those of you that have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. And if you believe the prayer you're about to pray, Jesus is going to come into your heart and come into your life. And it may terrify you like it did the shepherds on that first Christmas night, but joy will be yours. Peace that passes understanding will fill your heart and God will come in in that relationship. If you want to do that, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you, to come into my heart and to come into my life today. I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that you, Jesus, are my salvation. Born of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave just like the Bible says. 
I believe that. And I ask you today to take my sins away, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me new life in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I just thank you for people that prayed that prayer for the very first time, for life change that took place in hearts and lives. God, I thank you that it's not about priests and pastors and and teachers of the law. Lord, it's not about church services and church gathering. It's about a relationship. God, I thank you that you love us enough that you come to us just like you did to those shepherds. God, thank you that you broke down the walls that all can come to salvation, that all can be saved, and that every life can experience the life-giving, peaceful, transforming love unconditional love that only comes from you through Jesus Christ. God, I just pray for the life change that was decided today. I pray for our children that were, are up front just a few minutes ago, that your blessings would be upon them. And God, be upon our, our families during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.